question for that. Hello, Ed. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. On the show this week, we're going to look back at whatever that just was. We're recording... Absolute like rubbish minutes. is what it was. Yeah. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> recording 10 minutes after the Villa game. Um, I've chatted to Joe Devine from TIFO Football about uh, the ins and outs of how they do things over at TIFO. It was a really interesting chat. Looking forward to listening to that one. Yeah, and um, we will... Oh, I don't even know how to say this. We'll preview a game on Wednesday night. I've got both of my hands on my head as I say this, and I'm rubbing my eyes against Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, my giddy aunt. That is any not any chance we can afford a point potch before Wednesday? <laughs> Just to make it a bit fun. <laughs> Honestly, um... All right, let's start with let's start with a thought experiment, Ed. For Ooh, this I, lo- show. I love a thought experiment. Go on, go on. Has the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer experiment at Manchester United That's failed? A, not, not quite a thought experiment, is no, it? No, it's not. It's is an it? actual experiment. Yeah, yeah, you're I, right. This is true. Oh God, it should have been a thought oh, for years. I've had it as a thought experiment, and it was wildly successful in my thought experiment. But it turns out real life is more complicated. Yeah. Well, yes, probably it has failed. Yeah. I mean. They are briefing, so says everyone, that the uh, the three-year plan is still in place and everyone is behind Ollie. But I think with each passing week, the, the results don't uh, play out. Uh, more pressure builds, of course. And United in, are in the bottom half of the table now, just drawn against the Villa side that started the weekend in 16th. A, a Villa side, as we said last week, which has significant amounts of problems. And for a lot of that game today, United were just not very good. Got outpassed, completely outpassed in the first half by this Villa side. And, you know, and and fair enough, in McGinn and Grealish, you've got two midfielders there just walking to the United side. <laughs> no problem at all. And uh, it, which is just bizarre, isn't it? You know, team in 16th. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, a bit more lively from United in the second half. But Villa were good good value for that draw you know they, oh, I mean, they, at least, yeah, to- totally yeah. good value for that draw and and united looking depends who you believe info goal had the xg at 1.67 understat at 1.85 whatever way you look at it that's not great um and uh, again conceded goals so there's just so many negatives coming out of this game um compared to yeah we felt quite upbeat in our first ever friday pod last week uh, didn't we, after Astana, even though United lost, you know, reasonably upbeat because it was a team full of kids and Jesse Lingard. And and they did all right despite losing. Now, this was the first team, 11 changes, all the main people back. I mean, obviously Pogba's still out. And, and there's just nothing there, just nothing in the tank at all. Well, we sort of predicted that it was fairly likely to be a midfield of Fred Pereira and Juan Mata. And I suggested that maybe Juan Mata might have an okay game, which is a sad level of optimism, isn't it? And and I would say, actually, Juan Mata had, in an attacking sense, had an okay game. He brought his influence to bear a little bit. Was kind of there when when most of the good bits happened. He was even um, making third-man runs at one point. Yeah, I, I tell you what, Anthony Martial should be embarrassed uh, at the extent to which Mata, when the two of there was a, it was really early on in the game, and Mata, United were in possession, and Villa were in their defensive block, 
and Mata was moving and Martial wasn't. And I was just thinking, I, I, I just don't understand it. Maybe there's stuff I don't know. I know I've talked at length about this the other day. So um, my first note um, on, on so I kept a, a bunch of notes. My first note just says, AWB looking very pressurized by the press multiple times very early in that game. Um, Wan-Bissaka looked like he was really struggling to get out the ball out beyond Grealish. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, obviously, saying an obvious point... I- AWB is a better defender than an attacker and he's just more comfortable in defensive situations than he is um, having to deploy the ball. That's not true of Lindelof and Maguire, of course, who are basically not very good defensively, but uh, (laughs) quite comfortable on the ball, you know. Steve Bruce with a decent first touch, he's Maguire. So, um, like... I'm being flippant, of course, but there's some truth to this and, and United haven't defended particularly well uh, in the uh, the last couple of um, Premier League fixtures. And in fact, today, given how many free kicks United appeared to give away in really good positions, they were fortunate that Jack Grealish's uh, delivery was actually quite poor for most of the game. I mean, he scored an absolute beautiful worldie of a goal and you'd expect him to do better from some of those set-piece situations. And he didn't put United under as much pressure as as perhaps um, you might think he would have done. Otherwise, it could have been an even worse result. Yeah, I mean, the 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 Grealish goal... So United actually looked quite dangerous on the counter-attack very early on. James like whacked on the afterburners for one and uh, nobody really could keep up with him and he ended up having to cut it back when it would have been lovely if he could have slid one along, you know, the six-yard box. Um, and then very soon after that came the Grealish wonder goal. And, you know, I mean, he skinned Pereira all ends up and it was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant finish. And But, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of pressure on him. Like Wan-Bissaka wasn't part of the defence, uh, you know, wasn't part of trying to stop Grealish. Um, he'd left him entirely to Pereira. Maybe that was the right thing to do like I'm not that's I'm actually not saying that as a criticism because you know I think you'd have to know what the plan was in that situation to know whether that was what was meant to happen but it certainly looked like Grealish had a lot of time on the ball but boy did he use it and a, a, a peaky blinder of a goal yeah um lovely and De Gea just watch it in so yeah and then you know it just couldn't sustain any kind of possession for a solid what, 20 minutes, maybe maybe 10 minutes, but just a really long period of time after the goal where they looked completely just beaten. Just kept, The ball just kept turning over. Fred Pereira just really doing nothing in the central uh, midfield area, area. And of course, you know, Pereira puts in an absolutely beautiful ball for Rashford's equaliser, although I suspect that's going down as an own goal, isn't it? Uh, but uh, for United's equaliser... Uh, lovely ball, which we know he can do, but the all-round game was just horrible. Fred couldn't create any influence on the game at all. We've praised him in recent weeks of uh, uh, having more positive performances and actually starting to look like a player that might be somewhere near £52 million. No, he's really not. But, you know, at least edging up. At least, like, maybe there's uh, two digits in there. Uh, Pereira yeah, def- look- definitely isn't two-digit player, is he? looking like a player as as far as far as I thought you were going to go like looking like an actual professional footballer I mean he did one brilliant thing Fred which was this kind of really sick piece of skill on the the right hand flank um and to kind of beat a man and that was the first time United had relieved pressure from the goal uh, and then he slid Martial in like with a kind of angled through ball and Martial had the shot from a kind of very wide angle but 
again, like this was the only way we created any space was with a moment of like really high level individual skill, nothing structured about it, nothing structural about it, just all about individuality and, and just the general lack of cohesion. I mean, having Fred and Pereira in the center of midfield is a massive, massive issue. Obviously. I mean, you mentioned Pogba being absent. He's been absent for a long time, of course, and, and McTominay being absent as well, just, it just leaves us in this dire situation. And and I have to say, I know this is sort of the easiest stick to beat a manager with ever, but are we absolutely sure that he wouldn't have been better sticking one of those two kids in alongside Fred than Pereira? I mean, I know Pereira put that ball in and the, that's a moment, like the most significant moment in the first half from a United attacking right. perspective. But apart from that, wow, he's he's really poor. He really is. And, and now he's had a third of a season to prove us otherwise, you know, pre- prove the doubters otherwise and, and prove that he is a player that is capable of performing in the Premier League. And I, I think we've got quite a lot of evidence now. You know, I complained last week, or at least on Friday, that people are writing off Tahith Chong too early. You know, is a, he's he's not done anything to impress in his 192 minutes in in the United team this season, you know, and... And nor would many, many players over the course of effectively two games, many of them as a substitute. But um, Pereira's had a lot more than that. He's he's played you know most of the games for United now and and been very poor. And at, at at a minimum, he hasn't earned his place in the side right now. You know, and it's not even going as far as like we should dump him. Um, and of course, all of this stems back. You know, you said Pogba injured, McTominay injured. You know, boo hoo us, right? Uh, and and l- there's no sympathy for Solskjaer here because every single time he gets the chance, he says, oh, no, no, it was my choice. Happy with it. Pro- now he's towing the party line and saying two things, which made me lols over <laughs> in, in the build up to this match. One, one first, he said, this is not the best bit, but, you know, first he said, oh, we're probably not you know, going to do any business. We might be looking at some loans. And then he said, oh, Pogba's coming back. It's like a new signing. I mean, it's David Moyes' levels of ridiculousness. Yeah, because it's literally not like a new signing. That's the thing. In any way, it's nothing like a new signing. It's our midfield crawling its way back to being its kind of barely functional minimal level. Mm. You know, it's it's, abso- it's absolutely crazy. Do you know what's and like a new signing, Paul? What's that? A new signing. Yeah. A midfielder. <laughs> yeah. You know, I... That- we, we, have you seen one of those recently? I mean, yes, they, we keep signing midfielders and it keeps going terribly wrong. But anyway, the, the, the fact that we, we've talked ad nauseum about this particular thing. There was a moment where Rashford tried to play the ball wide to Williams after about 26 minutes and just knocked it straight out of play. And it just completely summed up where United were at. Moments after that, there was a triangle on the left-hand side and Williams, uh, instead of finding a United player with his bit of the triangle, just passed it straight to a Villa player. And it was it was just that kind of atmosphere. Uh, Lee Dixon pointed out that Juan Mata was just like yelling at Fred and Pereira, just get me the ball. Like, st- just I need to get on the ball. And um, there was a moment where Dixon, not, I mean, I don't think he's a terrible pundit, not the world's best, most complex football analyst, said something along the lines of, um, all you have to do to stop United is you sit deep, you slow them down until they run out of patience and give the ball away. And he was just proved right time after time after time in the period of play that followed that. There was then... To be Williams fair, that's some... about the level of our analysis these games as well. <laughs> 
yeah. But I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's absolutely accurate. And um, uh, then very lucky with an offside from a low cross from a corner that nearly caused, like, so the, the, the corner comes in, there's havoc caused in the box. I'm not sure they got a shot away from that, talking about XG numbers and XG being slightly misleading in terms of, you know, chance creation, because that was a very nearly a massive chance. And then we didn't play to the whistle for a, for a ball that ended up in the back of the net and was ruled out for offside. It was all very dodgy, just didn't look safe or secure at all. No, and and th- then that's how Ming scores, you know, not, not long after that. So um, well, a, a bit later. Half, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, like, anyway, um, it's uh, n- none of that looked very secure from United at the back uh, and uh, none of it looked very, as you say, um, useful or productive going forward. You know, when Wan Matter is frustrated, then you know something's going wrong. You know, Martial not moving, he's not. He's come back from injury, not in the best form. Marcus Rashford is. He's scoring goals. I don't think he's going to get the one today, but at least he got in the right place for it, which he wasn't doing before. You know, and that's a positive. Dan James had a better game today than he had against Sheffield United, I thought. I mean, at least he was involved a lot. Yeah. I thought he was really I thought it was really good, but I didn't think he was that but he did like two bad things against Sheffield United. Um, no, he didn't the, do many good things, is my point, really. Well, except in the seven minutes when he was instrumental to United being good. No. <laughs> That's, we, I mean, As in, he did one good thing. One good thing. This this is the like, it's the, the difference between regulation and data. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're talking about last week's game. <laughs> I was trying that to say so. That's so snide. It's like, oh no, you're you're uh, you're just wrong. You're just basing that on your <laughs> like pie-eyed opinion. You couldn't possibly have considered a broader picture. <laughs> no, well, exactly. I'm I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you agree with me, Paul. So <laughs> anyway, I was trying to say he did. I thought he did okay today. You know, yeah, me too. In the context obviously. of not being all that okay anywhere across the pitch. By the way, before we went, before we got it back to one all, there was another really dangerous moment where the ball was pinging around in the box from a free kick. Like it just because Grealish's bad delivery sort of started in the second half, really in the first half, putting a few decent ones. And I've just got a note here on forty minutes that just says so, 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 so bad. <laughs> it's just we couldn't we couldn't get the ball in out. But then actually the goal comes from um, this thing that kind of crying out for this United side to do which is press. Like it was a transition and a turnover from high up the pitch. Mata really like the fact that Mata was pressing and winning the ball back tells you something about what would have been on offer for us if we had a coherent attacking structure. So Mata wins the ball back, gets it to Rashford, slightly heavy first touch and then Heaton knocks it out for a corner. And it was from that corner that the ball comes out to Pereira and he swings it in and we scored. So like it's transition what a shocking idea that trying to force a transition high up the pitch is one of the most effective strategies this united side could possibly bring and but it's just not been effectively deployed across the season has it so um it's obviously a very effective tactic because a lot of chances come from uh this this uh attempt to break down um break down the opposition and and score from transition so you know like in fact all the world's top coaches and some of them that used to be top coaches play on this. Uh, Mourinho wants to score from transition from the low block, uh, Klopp and Guardiola from the high block, you know, or the, the high press. 
Um, and it's effectively the same thing. It's when uh, when your opposition is unstructured, you have the greatest chance of scoring. You know, um, and and Solskjaer at one stage, and it feels like an age ago now, doesn't it? Wanted the same thing for United, but he just cannot get that kind of consistency of performance, or he's given up. I'm not sure which one it is, um, but he cannot get them to consistently press all over the pitch and win win back possession in 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 uh, in dangerous areas. And you know the the personnel thing is obviously a huge factor, but this does look like the worst the worst case scenario of dodgy personnel being coached badly. That's what that's what currently it looks like to inexpert eyes. Um, at halftime, I wrote it was just ridiculously lucky to be one all, both in terms of us not having created anything meaningful up until the goal, but also in terms of the fact that. They like they didn't have any big chances in inverted commas, but they were a whisker away from a lot of big chances. And 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 I thought it was one of the worst performances of the Oli era. And the real worry was that it came on the back of Sheffield United. It was like same again, just absolutely the same again. Different causes, no Phil Jones or back three to blame this time, but just a complete collective failure, which I don't think the second half was a complete collective failure. It was much more, it was a lot more endeavour, a lot more purpose. You know, um, they got they got themselves in front and then switched off like idiots for the goal. But I, I think the, the tenor of the second half was very different from the tenor of the first half. Sure, yeah, the, the output, wasn't that much different. I mean, more shots for sure. Not great quality shots. Not from great positions. Uh, didn't create tons and tons of xG. Um, obviously, um, my, I mean, this is like vagaries of the model. But uh, Anthony Martial's will go down as 0.6 of the 1.67 xG that United created in this game. Although the own goal will go down as zero. Although Marcus Rashford's header will go down as quite high, I imagine. Um, so, you know, maybe that all evens itself out. Um, but, but an awful lot of sort of speculative shots after that, you're right. There's, there was more like impetus going forward for sure. Just didn't, didn't result in loads of magical stuff. So, I mean, you look at the XG, XG graph and like the first period of the, of the game versus the second period of the game. And like, it's it's massively better in the second half than it was in the first half. It just wasn't that good in the second half, right? That's that's, no. that's the thing. So United uh, in ninth, actually, in the top half, I, I erred yes. earlier. <laughs> erred. We We're, are top half of the league. So we are top half of the league. Really, really benefiting from the fact that um, Sheffield United have had a poor few games, you know, or at least not picking up as many points as they used to. Uh, Chelsea lost this weekend, of course, and Arsenal only drew. Um, and I mean, I don't know why I'm I'm trying to post rationalise that there's some opportunity here. I mean, in the in the way that Tottenham are now fifth, just because they've won two games with Mourinho coming on board, it's not that much for United to get themselves back into a decent position. You know, win a few, beat Tottenham on Wednesday, and suddenly United are going to be could be fifth or sixth, basically. <laughs> Could yeah. could be could be yeah yeah, it, yeah we, yes yes you're right Ed it would be quite good if we beat Tottenham on Wednesday but um, the evidence would suggest we're not going to uh, there's a moment where um, Martial put an absolutely beautiful through ball through to James on the wing who put in a beautiful ball into the six yard box and both Lingard and Rashford were in position to break forward to make the run once the ball went out to James the fact that neither of them did was 
genuinely shocking. Our, our attacking movement, I would say of all the things that are wrong with this United side at the moment, their movement in and around the box is the number one thing that's wrong. And the fact that Mason Greenwood didn't come on until, when was it? Pretty, it was pretty late, 77, something like that. Yeah, Really late on. And, and the game was crying out for a bit of invention and movement in the box. And his substitutions, the Lingard for Mata one, I thought Mata was... One of the few people that looked like he was going to make something yeah, happen. Yeah, but, but he can't go for more than seventy minutes, can he, matter? But he, surely he can once every six weeks when he plays once every six weeks. Then Williams and Shaw that 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 swap. What what did he think was going to happen there? And then well, another Shaw's stri- best contribution was getting a yellow card, basically. <laughs> yeah, straight swap then for Mason for Martial when we need a goal. Like I know Martial had just chipped one over from two yards, but. He also looked reasonably likely to do something. I, I thought it was really bad in-game management from Solskjaer. And, and, you know, I'm not sat here calling for his head, but I definitely understand why everyone that is, is. Sure, yeah. I mean, look, there's a whole list of reasons why you'd want... And you can perfectly well rationalise that, which is which is results have been very poor, very poor for a very long time. United are are mid-table and look like a mid-table side. There, there hasn't been any progression under this manager and he's been in situ for almost a year now, 50 weeks. Yeah. Um, so this isn't a short-term thing. He has backed and apparently supported the decision to um, let some players leave, you know, and you can we can argue whether they wanted to leave or the club forced them out. Either way. And... He has not, when given the opportunity, said, I'm unhappy with this, right? So, and maybe he's just super positive, Ollie, and he doesn't feel like he has the gravitas or the situation with which he can complain to the owners about lack of spending and so on and so on. Now, I'm sure there's quite a lot of truth in that, you know, but there's an awful lot of things you could um, list before you get to poor in-game management as negatives against Solskjaer, and it all kind of adds up to a, a a an assessment of Solskjaer which says maybe this guy just isn't good enough for the for the role you know maybe that's true you know and I, I'd love to believe because there's an awful lot of Solskjaer stands out there who not that many I mean not as many as the Mourinho crowd but there's quite a few people who say look he's got a three-year plan he knows what he's doing we're taking the pain now and this is the Woodward line as well um, and and it's long-term benefit. Look at all these young players. And United had a very young side out again today, an incredibly young side out in midweek. And look at the progress that could be made. But it's always could be, maybe, should be. And the real question then becomes, is this manager getting enough out of this group of players? You know, is, is this group of players a ninth? Is it the ninth best squad in the Premier League? I mean, Arsenal point... A place above us just sack the manager because they don't believe it's good enough you know so it's there's I, look long long mm. way of saying it's understandable there's a hell of a lot of pressure and a lot of people will be questioning ollie right now yeah and i i think the people that kind of are in that sort of um like arsenal fans have been about emery just rabid waiting for the loss um, for the kind of loss to happen that he gets sacked after, I think they're going to be really disappointed because I don't think United are in the position that Arsenal were in two weeks ago where, you know, if they'd lost this game today, they would have sacked Solskjaer. It just doesn't feel like that to me. Um, but 
But hey, maybe that's not true. Maybe it is, you know, two more bad results in a row, which we're about to get because I think we're probably going to lose to Tottenham and City. Um, it means it's going to be an awful lot of pressure on Solskjaer and, and people, well, for sure, the furore to call for his head will be will be absolutely up in arms. I mean, oh, I don't want to sound like bloody Gary Neville, but I do find it a bit exhausting how quick people are to scream blue murder that you've got to get the manager out. But I don't think that culture's going anywhere until we get a, a manager who well, Until we good. get results. And get my, yeah. I mean, like, if... if um, so my, my position on this is if United did appoint Poch, and I don't think he's going to take a job up until the summer, they'd finally have got the managerial appointment right. Yeah. But, 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 and there's a hell of a lot of buts, the structure at the club still isn't right. Um, David Finnegan on Twitter says, uh, is it possible to hold opposing views? I believe in what Oli is doing, except that it will take time to get the squad and the team playing to a consistency, consistently high level. But is Oli really the man to get us back and challenging? And I think that's that's perfectly fair point. Exactly. I, I, in fact, if you if you were to kind of outline my position on it, I think that would be almost exactly what it is, which is that I think this project is exactly what needs to happen. And it looks to me like he's not the man to do it because he does not seem to have the tactical nous or the gravitas. It, too many of his decisions have been bad along the way where you think mm, if it does, it just doesn't seem like it would work. But yeah, that's 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 basically exactly how I feel about it. Yeah, well, with that, anything more to say on the Villa game before we move on to to listeners? No, it was just an exhausting experience. It was fun to see Victor Lindelof score. It was great to to think, oh, actually, you know, all this kind of attacking impetus and improved vibe in the second half is going to be worth some... Oh, no, it's not. Because <laughs> that was about the length of time that we were in front for. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very disappointing when Ming scored. Um, yes, it was. And a certain sense of inevitability about some of it. So it was funny how Mings didn't really celebrate because everyone thought he was miles offside. Brandon Williams got it. Got it. Got to say he's got it wrong there. Young player didn't follow the line. There's a really funny thing in the uh, in the replay when you see the slow motion replay from the side where every other defender's hand goes up and he sort of like tentatively puts his hand halfway up because he's like, oh no, oh I've done, I've done it, I've made a, oh dear, that's what was going through his head. Okay, well look, uh, that's the Villa game. I think with that, we'll uh, this short message and then we'll get on to listener questions. Enjoy no question about that. If so, let others know about us. The best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. I have seen a lady who plays the saxophone. Give her a big applause. All righty. So, Nick, Man United youth, friend of the show, says, is Andres Pereira the worst hill anyone has had to die on? It's a bad hill to die on. Are there people out there dying on the hill? I, I don't see a lot of. Uh, I don't see a lot of fully committed, a, a clinical Andreas on Twitter. I mean, no, that'd be a worse cult than Mourinho's, and, and his cult's still going reasonably strong. Uh, Mark Mark Joseph Evans says uh, you're going to have to do an emergency pod because Sol will be gone in the morning, replaced by Potch by Tuesday. No, he won't be. I mean, I think that may be wishful thinking. Self-actualization, this one. And he's, uh, I, th- I think he's going to be here for a while. I, you know, one, I don't, I'm pretty sure Poch will do the sensible thing and uh, not take a job until the summer. And he's going to have two choices, at least two choices, both mega choices and also United. 
no, I'm kidding. Um, and then, uh, you know, right now, if um, it, it depends how bad it gets. So right now, Wood would take quite a lot of heat for for uh, booting Solskjaer out because he's said consistently in every press, on the record, off the record, and in front of investors that United are fully behind this manager and they've invested and they've got their analytics right and uh, everything is uh, in place for the club to be successful. So for him to fire the manager now would be a huge admission of error. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I can't agree more. And also, we do twice a week podcasts now, so we don't need to do emergency ones. We're ready to go at all times. Lots and lots of questions about Pereira. Most of them not fit to print, let alone read yeah. out on a on the radio podcast. I guess I guess we, we know we know where we stand on Pereira, don't we? Kylie Kylie Luke Keaton. Sorry, butchered your name there. Uh, how many central midfielders will be linked with us in January and how many will the club say are too expensive? Um, no, it's not expense that's the excuse. It's uh, lack of availability and no one wants to sell in January. Yeah, absolutely. And we will be linked with everyone because it, it's the thing that people do is link link people with United. That's right. Talking of which, Charles Rothwell says, we're obviously hampered by injuries at the moment, but what on earth do we do in training? No excuse for such haphazard dysfunctional displays, irrespective of who's playing. I mean, I don't know because, like, we complain about this an awful lot when Mourinho is manager. I'm not sure what the identity of this team is right now. And and it felt during those first wonderful 14 games that I'm viewing through sepia tones at the moment. There was only that, three good ones, though. <laughs> There's only three good ones, yeah. That United had an identity. You know, high press, win the ball back in the final third, you know, score in the transition, low block when we need to break out. You know, and and we see that only fleetingly now. And and it's hard to say what the what the um what the identity of this team is. And the second piece on injuries, a lot of that's to to do with the physical training. Um Klopp had that at Liverpool for his first like eighteen months, changed the training. Um and and it doesn't happen anymore. And, no, and, no. and something has got to change here. In, in funnily enough, actually, when when Faria, who's you know the periodization expert, left United, United started getting a rash of injuries because they changed their um their physical training regime up, you know, and, and Ollie's kind of come in with another one again. And the um the truth is, like, there were nine out of eleven players in that starting eleven who would start. I think. I mean, maybe maybe you could say eight because maybe Lindelof and Maguire would not start together in an ideal situation, but they they have started together when when everyone's available. So I, I think there's a there's an argument to say that's nine out of eleven first team players, and obviously two central midfielders are fairly crucial area to have switched out. But uh, first of all, Pogba and McTominay have been injured for such a long time, especially Pogba, that the fact that there's no pattern of play especially given that whole first team squad would have had the whole week with coaches to work on a pattern of play while everyone was in Astana after a game where they repeatedly demonstrated a lack of pattern of play and should have been like really like hammered on it all week long. So it's very, 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 um, it speaks very poorly of what's going on behind the scenes, this performance, I thought. Yeah, I, look, I fully agree. Uh, and, and look, as we've said on this pod before, it doesn't actually take that long to instill some kind of identity. It doesn't take that long to instill defensive solidity because that's the easiest thing to coach. What's the hardest thing to coach is attacking patterns of play. 
And it's interesting because we had sort of instilled a kind of defensive solidity. And now that since McTominay dropped dead, that's gone as well, which is very interesting in terms of where that was coming from. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, Pereira is going to offer nothing there and Fred doesn't offer much either. I mean, really? I, I, it's it's uh, Lampard and Gerrard in midfield, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about the same level, roughly the same yeah, yeah, level. Yeah, about that. Uh, Jack365 says, I know protecting youth players is uh, important, but why is Pereira playing over Gardner, you know, to that point? I mean... He's and, and and we said like for this game he's just played like almost did he play the full ninety in Kazakhstan I think he might have done Ghana I can't remember whether he came off or not um, but he's a very young player he's flown five thousand miles he's played I think the full game on a you know was it a plastic pitch as well or no it was it was very grass. cold whatever very happened. cold yeah I mean like there's loads of factors saying why you wouldn't play him. Uh, but in the coming weeks, it's a fair question because he's a very accomplished young player. It's also, unfair to throw him in, but it might just have to be unfair. And you know, I don't think you know it'd have been a worse would have been worse off if we'd played Garner against Sheffield United and um, today and played Pereira against Astana. You know, it, is right. that there's a, there's a thought experiment for no, you. no, and it's a very fair one. It's a very fair one, yeah. And and maybe that decision will come. And look, as Brandon Williams is now first choice. Above, you know, the new noodle uh, partner yeah. sponsor, Luke Shaw, uh, <laughs> and, and Ashley Young, maybe that's going to happen in midfield too. So I think that'll do it for questions. And coming up after this quick break, my interview with Joe Devine from TIFO Football. Enjoying no question about that? If so, let others know about us. The best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. Well, we are absolutely delighted to be joined on No Question About That by um, the first guest on our new podcast. I mean, ultimately, it's the same podcast, but, you know, we've got a new name. Um, and it's someone who knows a lot about uh, having a new name all of a sudden and people's reaction to that. And this is a voice that will be familiar to many listeners. Um, my friend and a person who I worked out, this is now the fourth podcast that we've done together, but I don't mean episodes of podcasts, I mean separate podcasts we've been on together, um, is long overdue, Joe Devine from TIFO Football. Hello. Hello, how are you, Joe? I'm well, thanks for such a lovely introduction, although I think, you know, being your first guest, you being so delighted about it, maybe there should be a question about that. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Took Precisely because of, the, because of the sort of uh, one-liners like that. <laughs> Um, so I, I thought it'd be nice to have Joe on the show. First of all, just because it's it is long overdue. We've talked about this for a long time, um, but I I think we we definitely have a, a lot of listeners in common in terms of our podcasts. But also, um, I think people will be interested to hear a bit more about the story of uh, of Tifo and and also just of of what goes into the the content that you guys make uh which you know in my opinion a slightly biased opinion because occasionally i write some of it but it, it it's like my favorite football stuff on youtube i think it's it's fair to say oh, that's nice thanks paul you're welcome um so so tell tell us a bit about the the origins of of the the channel and and what it's kind of grown into <laughs> Well, the origins of TIFO, um, I suppose it originated in uh, a different brand called UMAXIT Football, 
which was set up originally by a chap called Neil Clerk. Uh, Neil is from South Africa. He lives in London now. Um, and originally, Umaxit was a predictor game app where uh, users could download the app and play the game. Essentially, you predicted the outcome of five or I think it might have been six Premier League um, fixtures of, a, of every weekend. If you got all of the outcomes right, so win, lose or draw, uh, you would win um, a share in the £2,000 prize pot. And so depending on how many people won, you might, might end up winning a fiver, you might end up winning the whole two grand. Um, so the aim was to kind of be a bit more outlandish with your decisions. And Neil uh, hired myself and Alex Stewart, who's still a part of TIFO now, uh, to, well, we shared a job role, which was as the social, social media people for UMAXIT. And all we really did was sort of schedule tweets to go out about, I don't know, general football. I guess it was more banter stuff then. Um, and the app and things like that. Uh, Alex very uh, quickly quit because he's a sucker and, and can't hold out <laughs> when things get tough. Um, <laughs> he quit after, I don't know, maybe like three months, I'd say. And uh, I was living at home at the time. My mum was unwell. So I I'd b- had been living in London, moved home to look after her, and I just wasn't doing anything because there wasn't, there wasn't actually that much caring to be done on a regular basis. It was kind of more you know, bits and bobs throughout the day. Um, So I just took the whole job when Alex left. And to be honest with you, Paul, I felt a bit bad about the lack of work that there was to do. Because anyone who's listening who's... Who who you who was a social media manager uh, more than a few years ago before the idea of kind of um, seeding content elsewhere online and replying to comments and you know being proactive about it all it really was was just scheduling tweets and Facebook posts and it wasn't really a job yet Neil was paying me to do a job um, I felt a bit bad and so I started to you know play around in my well not spare time in the most of the day play around with new ideas that i thought could be good um tried some video content some of which you were part of as well yeah um and we did you know a few different things that some of which worked better than others before finding the tifo format um and i don't know how long you want me to keep talking for because it all sounds quite boring to me I just like I um, I think it's kind of an interesting story and and I'm I'm happy to listen to you talk about it for as long as you want. But so, how would you describe to to people that aren't familiar? Because obviously, like some some people listening will be, but there will be people who aren't familiar. How would you describe what Tifo football has become now? Oh, um, I don't know really. It's it's funny because it's you know to me it's just obviously there's there's more work and there's more people, but it's essentially the same um as was what it's always been but uh the audience is pr- is is big now i think it's it's over 650,000 subscribers on youtube um it, uh what was exactly your question what is tifo now yeah like how would you describe your output now what do you what do you do okay so we we release um they're essentially they're illustrated videos so they are kind of a mixture i suppose between uh, static infographics and animation somewhere in the middle because that they're not they're not really full scale animation that would take far too long um and we look at different topics we look at things like the tactics of a particular team or we look at you know the story of um how football has uh, intersected with politics in different parts of the world or we look at historical stories the lives of people one of the interesting things about this this form of 
uh, video is that it's actually quite easy to uh, write stuff for it because you can do you could you could redo the story of David Beckham's life, for example, which would be completely useless to anyone in an article form. And if you pitched that to four four two or an editor there. Um, they would just laugh at you <laughs> because you said you just go and read their Wikipedia page. But because you're making a kind of piece of art out of it, suddenly it becomes useful and people actually want to watch it. Um, and it's a nice way of um, retelling some stories that maybe people do already know or aspects of them that, that have fallen through the cracks in the past. Um, and so we try to, yeah, we try to kind of take a, a fairly broad range of perspective on on football generally which is to be honest at times has been hard because lots of people follow us for this tactics specifically lots follow for the kind of geopolitical stuff others for the history pieces so just you know trying to kind of strike a balance between them is um has been difficult at times but i would say the aim is that there is a generalized tifo tone does that do you think so when you yeah, watch them yeah of course <laughs> and, and and like not least of which it's you your voiceover is a big part of what the, the TIFO tone is. Um, so I, I guess uh, that's a that's a good overview for people that don't know TIFO. So for people that do, um, I, I'm going to ask a few slightly more specific questions, really, about your your role in it, really. And and my first question is like, what's your favourite stuff to work on? What what do you get the biggest kick out of being involved in? Um, I get the biggest kick out of the stuff which gets the the, the fewest um, or smallest viewing <laughs> figures <laughs> on the channel, Paul. Um, I've got to really rein it in because I like stuff. <laughs> yeah, as I said, there's a balancing act all day. But if it were left to me, um, which it is, so this isn't quite true because I, I've managed to um, I've managed to avoid my own pitfalls so far. But you know, in an ideal world, I would just spend the entire time trying to find out about you know an incredibly niche story that's taken place in Qatar 40 years ago which may sort of tangentially have led to the World Cup uh, four decades later and then talk about that and be really surprised when not as many people care as the number when you release a video about Manchester United's tactics. So uh, what are some of your like personal favourites that, that have been on the channel? Do you know what? I'm just gonna. Uh, people ask me this sometimes, and I can never remember any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna qu- have a quick look, but uh, while I'm doing that, I would say that my favorite person to work with, with the exception of you, obviously, obviously. Um, has been James Montague. Who, yeah. again, I imagine some of your listeners will know. Some For of them sure. might not as well. Um, James Montague has been described on the front cover as one of his books of um, of being football's sort of answer to Indiana Jones. You know, he's a sort of world-trekking, very well-travelled, um, very experienced uh, investigative journalist who he... I think his his most famous book is probably When Friday Comes, um, in which he kind of tra- travels across um, the Middle East and writes about football in all of these different countries. He's obsessed with the idea of the underdog, so he's always... He was there, for example, in, in the... Uh, when American Samoa... Uh, won their first ever oh, game yeah. of football. You know, they were the team that lost 31-0, so he's got another book called, called 31-0. They lost 31-0 to Australia, um, and subsequently a, a documentary was made out of it. And I believe a feature film is on the way, directed by Taika Waititi, um, oh, wow. who, who made What We Do in the Shadows, and directed Thor Ragnarok, that guy. And Jojo um, Rabbit. So James was there when um, when that happened, and that's probably a pretty good way of, of describing who he is. Um, 
also he wrote a book called The Billionaires Club, which profiles some of football's wealthiest owners and some of the nefarious things they've done to get into those positions. So, so initially, when we first started working with James, we took a couple of chapters from The Billionaires Club, which had just been released at the time, and made videos from those chapters with him. So we did... Um, a whole one on Roman Abramovich, for example, and the story of how Roman Abramovich you know, went from being, you know, a kind of lower middle class Jewish guy who, it, when he was very in Russia, who, when he was very, very young, didn't have any money at all. Um, there are sort of reports of him uh, filling his little flat in Moscow with rubber ducks um, and selling them as a rubber duck salesman or I guess as some kind of toy salesman. Then mm. there being a bit of a gap uh, when the Soviet Union all properly fell apart and uh, obviously no, no one really knows what happened then. And then suddenly he bought Sibneft off the um, Russian state for £100 million when I think its real value was £3 billion. And so most people don't know how, or I mean no one really knows how he got the sort of seed capital to buy it in the first place. Um, there's obviously speculation as to why it was being, you know, all those government assets were being sold off so cheaply at the time. But yeah, so I think that might be one of my favourites. It's also one of my most popular from the earlier days is charting people like Roman Abramovich um, and not in, not with a sort of political agenda at all, just as, you know, just from the perspective that these people are very influential within the game that we all love watching. Um, and I think it's only fair that people fans and supporters have the ability to learn as much as they can about the people who are you know in such influential positions at their club Roman Abramovich is one of the perfect examples of that being you know kind of the first modern super rich billionaire to be um to have a part in in the Premier League and his his life is fascinating so working with James on stories like that is probably what I find the most interesting and the outcomes are probably my favorite videos yeah I I think if I was in your position that would be the the same for me um the and and it's one of the things I love about Tifo to be honest is that you I, I just, we you and I both know partly why but you do make sure that 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 is carved out even if it isn't the most kind of commercially successful bit of your operation yeah, it definitely isn't <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the yeah, this is the other thing with with Tifo is obviously, as I said, it's 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 all about trying to find a balance, and uh, for obvious reasons, um, a piece which you know, a ten minute long video which explains the history of Roman Abramovich and and maybe suggests that he doesn't buy Chelsea because he loves football, but he buys Chelsea to give himself an international uh, platform and to make himself essentially famous, so that if he suddenly disappeared, that would be a problem. You know, that that's interesting to me. But I do understand why, you know, Nike aren't knocking down the door saying, can, can we put our logo on this, please? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so uh, I guess my next question is also one for the TIFO fans, um, which is how how does a TIFO video get made? What's the what's the kind of production process for that? Well, people ask me about this so so often, and I never I never answer fully. Okay. Um, partly because I don't want people ripping us off. But <laughs> what I will do is you've I'll got six hundred thousand like... subscribers at this point. You you're all right. Like I think you established that's a kind of legacy leaders. fear though. From like when we only had fifty thousand subscribers, yeah. and then some other people started doing them. I was like, no, no, I must crush them. <laughs> um, so essentially, it, the script comes first, as you know. So when you you know, let's take an example of something you've written recently. You did a history of Gary Lineker for the channel. Yeah. 
So uh, and that was my the, idea too. It was your idea, yeah. yeah. So the conversation either starts in that way, where you email me and say, "Hey, I've got this idea," and I say, "Do it, man. That's a great idea." Or I mean, just I have an idea. Oh, go on. Clarify for the listeners. I should email him. What I often do is uh, write an improvised song in a WhatsApp voice <laughs> message and send that instead. It works every time, uh, though, yeah. doesn't it? You I'm very pitching elsewhere in the same format because I think that would work. Um, I'm very professional. <laughs> Uh, so either you know you send me a song and i say yes or i have an idea and i think well paul would be good to do that uh, or whoever it is would be good to do that and i go and ask them would you do this for me and they say yes hopefully um and then there's a week or so where they write the script come back to us with it it then goes through uh, seb stafford bloor who is our sub editor who also writes scripts for the channel as well um, then it comes back to me, at which point I do the voiceover and I send it out to one of our designers. So full time on the staff, we've got Philippe Fenner, who's probably best known um, for, for, from our TIFO viewers because he's been around for the longest and he's got a kind of scratchy, scrawly illustration style. Um, so I reckon people would probably recognize, recognize his work pretty quickly. We've also got Craig Silcock, who's a friend of mine who's joined us more recently, and Henry Cook, um, who is full-time as of today, as of tomorrow, oh, which wow. is nice. So he's our, he's our third full-time designer. It will go to one of those or uh, maybe a freelancer or something if, if they're all busy. Um, and those guys will then create a series of uh, illustrations and assets that will make the eventual video. Um, and then they'll pop them all together and send them back to me. And I'll go, yeah, that's good. Um, and we'll put it out on the channel. Brilliant. And then uh, lots and lots of people will watch it because that's uh, uh, you hope so it's yeah. been it's been beautiful to watch it grow from you know its beginnings to to be something where it really does offer a sort of unique thing for football fans um it's been fun watching your podcast grow as well um yeah, and that, thanks, that's man. it's the cover i just really like the breadth of stuff, both the breadth and depth uh, of stuff that gets covered on your show, and it's a it's a high recommendation from me. So can oh, you, thank d- you. D- tell tell listeners a little bit about about your podcast and. Yeah, I mean, the podcast has been through various different incarnations. It's funny, it's always sort of, up until recently, it's always it's always been second on our list of things to do because there's, there's, there are very few of us at TIFO and we don't have very much time because we, you know, try to release as many videos as we, as we possibly can within the space of a week. Um, the podcast used to be something that would help support that and, and also, critically, it's the only way that we can directly communicate with the the our audience yeah. um because unlike most youtube channels who have you know most of them are sort of done in a more of a vlog style and it's two camera and someone speaking to you and it's very personality driven which is useful because it you know it kind of gives gives the audience um someone to connect with and it gives you know a slightly more personal feel to things on tifa on the tifa channel we've got the voiceover really and the tone of it and that that's about it so the podcast is is fun for us to be able to talk more directly to to people and answer questions and and, and stuff like that um but more recently it's taken on more of a um a, a you know kind of uh important role uh we're supported by the athletic this season and uh, subsequently we've got a bunch of uh cool slack jaw bdi football journalists coming down to the office uh to feature on our football podcast so 
you know, it's, it makes life a little bit easier because I don't have to do all of the, not that I was doing it before, but I don't have to do all the kind of special research or anything or really learn anything about what we're going to talk about. I treat it as an opportunity to, to learn. Yeah. And um, whenever someone criticizes me for not knowing what I'm talking about, I just use the excuse that, well, this, this is where I'm finding out, you know, I'm not the, that's why we've invited this other person so they can tell me. Um, and you're just sort of listening in on it but it's good fun man it's nice and we we try to you know do a team at a time um, and spend a whole hour talking about you know Tottenham or Aston Villa or United or or whoever it is um, and attempt to try and take the same kind of uh, range that we do on on the football on on the YouTube channel so there'll be some tactic stuff there'll be you know kind of regular player chat manager stuff strategy all the rest of it but also we'll try and talk about the ownership and uh, any key investors and any of the financial um, yeah I guess the the financial side of the business um and try and even if it is just profiling even if nothing's going on I think again it's a kind of it's useful for people I think to touch base with that sort of stuff and have have some sort of familiarity with with what's going on at their football club i.e who owns it how much money they have where that money's being spent and whether or not it's it's all entirely above board you know so that's yeah. that's what we try and do but um it's we're all really busy so sometimes we sometimes we don't get it right Oh, you do a pretty good job. And talking of a good job, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about it. And uh, yeah, uh, where can where can the people find your stuff, Joe? Uh, they just type TIFO into Google or you stand in the middle of a field and you shout, you know, animated video about football, por favor, and um, a bearded man will come out with a, a platter of meats. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'd have gone with the vegan option myself, but apart from that, I like everything about it. I'm a vegetarian as well. <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah. All right, Brill. Thanks, Joe. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Paul. Great stuff. I, I, I haven't actually heard that interview yet, but I will look forward to listening to it when we publish. I, I love talking to Joe, um, and that's why. To be fair, we... you love talking, but, you know, to Joe especially. Wow. Wow! Oh, 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 Paul's, Paul's offended. He's, just, he's, he's, like, get, he's, he's just got going for face. me today. Like, it's just relentless. Yeah, you're negging me, aren't you? Much like the manager of our uh, upcoming opposition. You're trying to get the best out of me by negging. This is not good man management, Ed. I respond much better to the carrot than the stick. You should know this. Arm um, around the shoulder. Yeah, exactly. And Jose Mourinho, I would not do well in a Jose Mourinho team. Um, unlike Deli Ali who is transformed for now <laughs> and until he offends the uh, great one. Honestly, the, the, the hilarious, transparent Jose Mourinho honeymoon period is beautiful to watch happen somewhere else, just waiting, just waiting. Unfortunately, we are right in the middle of the honeymoon period. So worth saying that they have conceded six goals in his three games. It's just that somehow they've also scored 10. What I mean, there was a time when we scored a lot of goals under Mourinho too. Uh, it turned out not to be sustainable. Yeah. I suspect it's really more sustainable at Tottenham with the personnel involved, but still. Uh, well, he's, he's got a more talented squad, yeah. I'm not going to ascribe anything. I mean, they've got a bit of a bump and a lot of the players had uh, felt extremely suffocated by Poch uh, and his methods and, and couldn't understand, as we've talked about, why Pochettino's sort of attitude had changed. So, you know, he he's... Mourinho's um, enjoying the bump. Let's not pretend suddenly Mourinho's coming and he, he is a man transformed 
and it's all him. So I'm not buying that. And I'm not buying the Mourinho, I'm humble, I've learned from my past line. I'm just not buying that either. Sorry. Like 18 months down the line, we, when we're on like, you know, episode 500 and something of this, because it will be now, we're going to do it twice a week. Um, play this back to me because I'm pretty sure I'm going to be right when he's grumbling at Levy for not buying the midfielder he wanted. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the we used to get in trouble on this show for comparing Mourinho to Donald Trump, but he almost literally said, I'm so humble. You just don't understand how humble I am. He almost literally said it. He said, like, I've always been humble. You just didn't understand, which is almost precisely what Trump said anyway. Um, Ali, Ali has had a massive uh, uptick in form from playing much more advanced up the pitch. Right. The system does seem to be making more sense uh, right, for, right. for their players. They got off to a disastrous start, of course, against Olympiacos in the Champions League, where he subbed Eric Dyer off after uh, 28 minutes. And that annoyed me, to be honest, because I was like, where was the Mourinho substitutions of taking off players who were playing terribly after 28 minutes when he was at United? And... The other thing that he said was he he kind of admitted that he'd fallen out of love with football at United. So whenever when we were going like it looks like he's completely fallen out of love with the game, and everyone was going no 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 it's Pogba he's a scum. Like I believe we were absolutely correct. That's what had happened. I look, anyone anyone me with my level of uh, training in psychoanalyst analysis could tell that that West Ham formation was a desperate, desperate cry for help. This was the man who wanted out. He was like, please get me out of this, you know? And, and it's why actually uh, like uh, quite a few people are uh, saying that Poch, he might have been officially sacked, but basically he's walked away with a £12.5 million resignation because he wanted out. He wanted out of Tottenham and he wanted to force the, the CEO's hand. And Mourinho tried that at United, you know, and I think... I think he's he's finally being honest there because he definitely wasn't being when he was at United. Um and and then look for the, for this game um you know it's going to be a tough one because he's he's got Son um and uh, Musa Sissoko working really well uh, in wide areas. Deli Ali as you said push up the pitch. He's not a he's not a one matter number 10. He's a modern number 10. You know, he's a Mourinho a, number 10. He's like a very Mourinho on. number 10, you know, he he breaks ahead of the ball. He's a, he's he's a he's a Frank Lampard but younger or could be right Deli Ali, um, and and obviously he's got Harry Kane there who's who you know even if he isn't like at his peak shot level and peak goal scoring level he's a very effective centre forward so yeah and like the only the only thing you'd say about um, Spurs right now and their sort of main weaknesses is one Davidson Sanchez who has found a place in the Mourinho side and you just and looked a wonderfully talented young player at Ajax, but, you know, has struggled a bit at Spurs and their fullbacks. So Serge Aurier, Serge Aurier, you can get behind him all the time because he is, he is very tactically indisciplined. And, and uh, if Vertonghen plays at left back, you know, he's pretty slow. Dan James could have some fun. In theory. Anything more predictable than Mourinho picking Vertonghen at fullback? Like, I mean, he must have been just licking his chops going, ah, got a built-in centre-back slash fullback. This is the dream. I mean, he has basically gone to the side who he tried to buy. Because I think it's fair to say he definitely tried to buy Alderweireld, Dyer, um, at least the two of them, and probably a, a lot more than that when he was when yeah. he was at United. And so, of, course, of course, a big loser in this Spurs side is Harry Winks, basically, who's who's been on a big uptick 
you know, trajectory of his career and got into the England side, um, looked like a very competent midfielder, but doesn't fit this formation of like two sort of more physical, deeper line midfielders and then three ahead. You know, well, and, he played. He, he started Winks in the first two games. And yeah, in, but I, I don't think he's got a. I don't think he's got much space in this team. So no, and it's that it's the kind of the 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 sort of interesting thing about it is he's playing this four two three one where one of the defenders, one of the midfielders, is training with the defenders, and the other midfielders training with the the four up front, right. and so you've got these two fives basically, which is just kind of interesting, and yeah. and 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 I think it'll be more than enough. I think they're going to win comfortably. I mean, the one hope is that United do the thing where they turn it on for a big game, or the other thing that Mourinho sometimes does when he feels a little bit threatened and he just retrenches and just tries to completely kill the game and they don't get away with one on the counter-attack. But I think even if they do that, they will get away with one on the counter-attack. And there's absolutely no reason that Mourinho's Tottenham should look at this United side as a team they have to park the bus against. And and it, as we've just said, I don't think that Spurs is, that Spurs is strength. You know, I, I think they can dominate the pos- possession of the ball and probably will dominate possession of the ball against United. Like, is McTominay back against Spurs? Because if he is, he's going straight in the team. I mean, straight in the team off an ankle nasty. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of thing with ankle nasties is that um, the the actual physical repair is is ready a long time before the kind of full peak fitness because of the turning, jumping, and so on, and so on. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Desperately needed. Yeah. And and ultimately, I just think this game is going to be one to watch through, you know, through the slats of your fingers. Uh, I mean, obviously, it will be uh, dream fodder for the Mourinho uh, obsessives who are convinced that Jose was the one, the truth and the light. And, yeah, I hope uh, this helps. Yeah, they'll they'll uh, they'll enjoy this a lot. Um, and we will just we'll, we 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 are more patient than them. We will just wait them out because it's fine. Like yeah, it's going to look real shiny and nice for a few months. Um, but it's here's a question last. for you, Paul: Who's going to score more goals in the coming week, Spurs or City? Oh, against us! Against us! Oh, that's a good question. I mean, we'll come on to a full preview of City in our in our post Tottenham game mid post Tottenham podcast midweek, um, but. I uh, I think City will score more goals against us because, but they've been in really they've been in like really patchy form. So who well, knows? Is it, the defense is really shoddy. Yeah, you know, so they can still score some some goals. That KDB goal of the weekend's absolutely ridiculous. Although both Skulls and Rooney would have scored that from about twenty yards further out and did. <laughs> yes, that's right. I, I, anyway, I don't want to talk. Shame we have to talk about City in the coming week because I. I've been studiously ignoring the City Liverpool thing or just the Liverpool Liverpool thing. It's yeah. I've fully trip to fully, moon already booked, just like mentally at least, and yeah, uh, I've just not fully there accepted at all. it. I don't know why any United fan would be holding out any hope that this is not going to be what happens. This is this is what's happening this season. Finally, finally, after nearly thirty no, more than thirty years of hearing it. You know, if you say every year for 30 years, this year will be our year, eventually, eventually, by the law of averages, there'll be a year which is your year. And I think this is this is indeed their year. Yeah. Well, I think it'll be the 30th anniversary in May, won't it? Right. So there you go. Um, so 
We're not going to get to 30 years of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Will we get through? Um, will he still be the manager on Wednesday? Yeah, of course he will. Um, what is the score going to be in that game, Ed? Are you... Is, are even you... Must sure. Well, no, I don't want to speak too soon. I can imagine you at this point saying, "Well, we might somehow get a draw." <laughs> no, I no, I yeah. Are you are you you you're trying to frame this so I can't possibly say that? <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, you do you, you do you. Yeah, no, I, I look. There's no. There's almost no scenario I can I can create in which United come out on top in this game, other than. We defend with the very low block and try and break. You know that that's the only that's the only tactic that works. I can't. I just can't see. I can't even do the the rationalisation that you came up with, which is that Tottenham parked the bus. Why would you? Aston Villa just passed us off the park, right? Although we um, and Spurs we... is much, much, much stronger through midfield. Many of time we've sat here on the other end of this looking at Mourinho being like, there was no need to park the bus in this scenario. So maybe Tottenham fans will get that. But I think I feel like it's just a bit early. If this, this game had come like two more months in, then maybe maybe we would have got six at the back from Mourinho. But I don't think I don't think he believes his Tottenham squad need to sit six at the back against us. I'm gonna go for a two nil Tottenham win. I actually do think there is a, a route to a United victory in the form of a much improved performance almost out of nowhere because we have seen that a few times it does it is a thing that happens occasionally this the front three click and you know they the, mm. the midfield doesn't look atrocious and the the defense don't make any stupid mistakes i just don't think that's but, very likely yeah. but yeah son ali sissoko all breaking from midfield yeah. with with Nobelli and and dyer holding to protect oh I and mean, why you'd even need both of them honestly I mean, I suppose Mourinho definitely would to to protect, uh, you know, in the transition, as we said. Uh, but those players breaking ahead of the ball with Fred, Fred and Pereira <laughs> trying to defend it. I mean, come on, come Honestly. on! No, like Spurs are going to win. Maybe we'll get one. I don't know. Like, I'm going to call it two one to Spurs. Yeah. All right. I'm going two 0 yeah. Spurs. Uh, but I do predict that no question about that. We'll be back. Oh yes. Uh, Definitely. Uh, we'll, twice we'll, a week. Yeah. Have, we, we, have we'll, we mentioned that to anyone yet? I don't know if we've mentioned twice a week. Um, and also the clip says not coming back. Okay, bye. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but, but seriously, folks, um, thank you very much for listening and sticking with us. Uh, and, and a genuine, like, slightly... I, I'm not actually being tongue-in-cheek here. For those of you who really don't like change, um, then uh, I'm sorry about the change. It is, it's necessary for us to take this forward and grow. But I, I, I sympathise with the people who are like, no, I like things to stay the same, please, because we do live in a, a complicated, messed-up world. And it's amazing what people take as security. But don't worry, this show will be with you long enough that you'll be annoyed when we change this theme tune in 10 more years' time. <laughs> yeah. And and a quick word before we leave. I mean, we promised to cover the women's team more, which we haven't really done. Um, but uh, United women lost at West Ham this weekend. So, uh, I mean, second defeat in the last five games. It's by no means are the, uh, are the wheels coming off the bus there. A fifth place in the table. I think it's very reasonable to assume that United can attack that sort of top four-ish. It's... You know, and I think that would be a very good result for the season. But uh, you know, a rare defeat for Casey Stoney's team. Yeah, and the the case to make Casey Stoney the men's team manager rolls on. Rolls on, yeah. Best manager at the club, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. 
No, I mean, we are in a position where the women's manager is the best manager at the club and the men's manager is the best striker at the club. It's, it's a problem. Oh, oh, harsh. <laughs> no, I harsh. just mean like as an out-and-out out striker. Like, harsh. Everyone... I just think we're sick to earth is pretty good, you know. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, yeah, I guess I guess that's it from us, is it? Absolutely. Patreon backers, stay tuned as we break down um, the first half of our shortlist for games of the decade on the uh, on the backers content in the last few weeks. We've been going through, went through like uh, player of the decade shortlist, and we went through goal of the decade, and we're going to kind of bring the results of that to the main show. But if you want to hear the deliberations and the behind the scenes chat, um, head over to patreoncom slash pod. Woohoo! Go Otherwise, for we'll see you Friday. Okay, bye now. And before we go, just a quick word about our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod. If you really like the show, uh, back us there from $1 and up, and you can access some really cool rewards like t shirts, artwork, and mugs. No question for that.